We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for three, and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits again. Memories have been made. Caliburn, a deep three for the lead. Great basketball has been played. Nembhard away. Hits the three and the buzzer. In 49 states. It's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake, shoots, and But this, this is Indiana. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go! Your go-to Pacers podcast. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. We got paces hooping. Let's talk stats. Hot takes. All fast. New topics. Updates. Three pointers. Fast breaks. We keep scoring. We don't need to stop. New episodes. Weekly drops. This your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Setting like the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Pacer Nation, what is going on? Welcome back to your go-to Pacers podcast, Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Gold. I'm joined today by Michael Fachi and the Pacers take down the Knicks. 125 to 111. Fachi, just a week ago, the Pacers lost to this team in dramatic fashion, and there is one difference in this game. They actually rebounded. They rebounded. It makes a difference. Hey, you know, you could say one difference. Some say two. I was not in the building. You know what? I was I was a game-time decision. I had a friend really trying to talk me into this game. I was rolling it over. I decided to stay home, and you know what? Indiana got the win. Awesome stuff, but that rebounding battle. Alex, that that was everything. That was the key to this game. And I never thought I'd be, you know, New York could be without Julius Randle. They could be without OG, Mitchell Robinson. But I never thought maybe the biggest thing could be no Isaiah Hartenstein. Yeah. Because I thought that was a big difference from last time to this time. And Indiana actually out-rebounded one of the best rebounding teams in the league, 41 to 32. Real quick before I go on a tangent, I just want to say when we we're talking about the rebounding differential last game, New York had 60 rebounds, 24 of them came on the offensive side of things. That was the difference in the game. 
No, it really was. And, you know, I, I tease you a little bit. I tried to set you up there thinking I was going to call you out. I thought you were. And, yeah, it uh, worked. you know what, though? You're, the curse was in effect last night. You yeah. said that Pascal Siakam would score 19 and a half, and you took the over. How many points yeah. did Pascal Siakam finish with last night? 19, <laughs> classic fashion. I think he had 19 with, like, I don't know, it could have been like six, seven minutes to go. I was like, all right, he'll get like fouled at some point. He missed and, a couple threes uh, that I thought were going in. Yeah, I, I know. I mean, he had opportunities. You know, <laughs> look, it was, uh, I felt that he was due, long story short, I felt that he was due for a better game against the Knicks than last time. And that is exactly what he did. Last time against New York, he struggled a bit uh, in that performance. I got the numbers up. He was 8 of 19 shooting. Just felt like, ugh, 19 shots. Like, I think he had 18 points in that game. Like, not great. Uh, this time against New York, 8 of 13 shooting for 19 points. Just felt far more efficient, looked comfortable. And, uh, you know, I, I think that Siakam was one of those players that got Indiana off to a hot start in that first half. Yeah, but I think the guy we should really start things off here with was the guy that set the tone yeah. early on, and that was Miles Turner. Goes 9-9. Nine nine. I don't know if that's the first time he's ever done it, but I think it might have been. Uh, goes 9-9 nine nine from the field, Fachi. Led the team in scoring with 23 points. Also had eight rebounds, four assists, one steal. Still no blocks for him, but you know, I, I felt like Turner really set the tone, and we talked about it after the game against the Warriors. He just has looked two steps slow, and then in this game, he looked more energized. He was seeking out contact. He was, you know, shooting the ball with confidence. We've always talked about when he gets things going early, he it's looks real. like a totally different player. Mm -hmm. He had that great pass to Siakam at the top of the key down low in the first quarter. It's like Miles was really just feeling the game out, and, and it felt like he was really excited. So I don't know. Maybe he was just licking his chops, seeing Taj Gibson was uh, their starting center for the for the Knicks instead of Isaiah Hartenstein. And so, hey, you know what? I wish that. Miles Turner would just look at every other center in the league like they're a Taj Gibson and play with that much intensity because when he plays like that, this team is totally different. Totally different. And this was a great bounce-back performance for Turner because Turner really struggled against New York last time around. He had five points, five fouls, uh, two of six shooting. I don't think he even played the fourth quarter. And then this time around, you know, Turner already in the first quarter he had exceeded his production from that last game against the Knicks. I just felt that Turner and Siakam, that duo, first quarter, first half, whatever it was, I mean, they were really asserting themselves, making themselves known, you know, nine of nine shooting. Turner, you can't ask for anything more than that. I want to say that I saw the Pacers put out a stat. He's like the fifth Pacer to ever go at least, you know, nine of nine in the game. Mm -hmm. So, you know, great. It's, it's something that doesn't come along often. But this was a game that I felt that Indiana was in control throughout i mean first quarter they shot you know just over 70 percent and then we'll get to it later but also sometimes it's the biggest thing is how you close out games in indiana they showed up in the fourth quarter there's a lot to unpack in between but i just felt that you saw what felt kind of like a complete performance because last time against the knicks remember great first half where were they in the second half they were treading water you know it just felt like just trying to hold on in that second half last time, that was not the case. The Pacers got better, it felt like, as this game went on. No, they really did. And I think if we want to just continue in this tread of looking at guys that really stepped up, all all, all five starters played over 30 minutes. And I think that's a big point in, ter in terms of, like, you know, how much they relied on these guys. We talked about Siakam a little bit, but I felt like Halliburton playing 30 minutes, it was nice to see him back He's at back. that higher number. This feels good. Looked like himself quite a bit there early on. He still didn't look like – Totally himself, just kind of feeling it out. But then as the game progressed and 
you could tell he was kind of chirping with DiVincenzo, Josh Hart when he got called for that foul in the second quarter. Like Ty was jawing a little, a little bit more. He seemed a little bit more engaged, energized, enthusiastic with the Pacers this game compared to last game against Golden State when he kind of looked dejected a little bit. I think the Buddy Hield stuff has kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's mellowed out a little bit. It's been a couple of days, like we said, time heals all wounds, but like reinserting himself back in for the final three seconds of the third quarter and then hitting that step back three that, that touched every part of the rim, started to come out and then went back in, and then that pass that he threw off the backboard oh, yeah. to himself, then find Siakam wide open in the corner for three. Twelve years ago, exactly on that same date, Kobe Bryant did the same thing. That's wild. And found Pau Gasol open. So it's just kind of crazy. The game that Tyrese was having, he loves to perform in the garden. And I think that if the Pacers and the Knicks were to be in a playoff series, it's going to be a lot different because you're going to have a more healthy Knicks team and it's going to be more difficult. But I just think that Tyrese Halliburton has a lot of Reggie Miller in him in terms of wanting to perform at the Garden. I, I think so. And look, the, the Garden, some call it, you know, the Mecca, whatever you want to call it, it's just, it brings out the best in a lot of, you know, players. And I, and I just felt that, like, we saw the Pacers, you know, come out sluggish against Golden State. They, they definitely did. They did not have it. But when they came to New York, I felt like this time around, I mean, that crowd when I was in the building last time, they were rocking all game. And I felt like the, Indiana knew this was going to be an environment that's like, hey, we're going to have our hands full tonight no matter who they have out there. They beat us shorthanded last time. Be ready. And I felt that Indiana was ready. Halliburton not having that same minutes restriction from last time was massive because – when you talk about that three, that three that looked like he was, you know, flushing something in the toilet. I mean, it went all the way around. That to me was the momentum shifter that Indiana needed in that game because when he hit that three, got the numbers right in front of me. It sparked a 19 to 8 run that ended up giving the Pacers a, a lead that was, you know, ended up ballooning to 22 points. It just felt that like they they continued that going into the fourth where they were hot. And that three, it was just huge. But also, I mean, the play that you mentioned before, the off the backboard, you know, the pass to, to Siakam, like that was like the headliner. You know, I mean, you saw some of the good, you saw some of the bad. That play caught the attention of everybody. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, Obi Toppins missed a dunk where he tried to go through the legs. That caught the attention of a lot of people as well. I'm happy that Halliburton had that moment to kind of flush out some of that Obi Toppin uh, play because you could feel for Obi. He always wants to put on a show against the Knicks. It's like that little revenge factor. Hey, I'm back home. This it was unfortunate that that uh, you know that he missed that dunk. I I get what he was going for. You had a good tweet about it. I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but you know what what was yours? You're basically saying something along the lines of like uh, if he makes it, you know, hey, like that's great. If he misses it, yeah, it is kind of warranted to be like, all right, we got to take you out. Like this is hmm. you know your words would be better than mine. Well, I mean, to me, it's like he just did that dunk on a dead ball effortlessly and made it. And so I I felt like he kind of started too late when he went to go do it. Like he was already past the free throw line. And when he went to go between the legs, he kind of got caught up on the rim because he didn't give himself enough of a leeway to get there. And I felt like it was too tight on that fast break to really make that move, Fachi. So I was like, why why is he doing this now? Like, I get it. But if this game is not a 14, 15-point win, whatever it was, 14-point win by the Pacers, and they lose this game by two points or one point, like, it's a totally different ball game, and people are going to rip him left and right for this situation because he didn't have to do that. I mean, yeah, there's no problem with wanting to put on a show, and I think some people even said, if you're doing this at home to try to get the fans involved, like, engaged, that makes a lot more sense, too, but doing it on the road 
it's a little bit different. So I, I honestly don't care if he wants to do it when he's wide open. I didn't feel like he was necessarily wide open in this case because the defense was right there lurking behind him. So, yeah, I just felt like, you know what, you let it slide if you make it. But if you miss it, you got to pull him from the game rightfully. And I think he understood that. That's why he didn't make any eye contact with the coaching staff. After he did it, kind of held his head down like, oh, crap, I'm about to get pulled. And he even mentioned it when he did it against the Suns when they were down by like 10 points. Uh, back a few weeks ago, he was like, yeah, I didn't realize we were down in that game. Okay, first of all, I don't believe that. Number two, yeah, he also said, if I miss it, I'm probably getting pulled. So he already kind of knows, like, if I do something like this, it's a little bit uh, showman-like, right? I'm going to get pulled if I don't make it. So I, I honestly didn't have a problem with him, and I actually put a poll out to ask people if they were upset about it. And 43% said yes, and 57% said no. So I don't think and that had over 1,300 votes. So I think there's a good amount of people that size. didn't really care that he missed it. I mean, it is what it is. It's it's the NBA. It's entertainment. At, at that at the same at some point, you have to realize it's a, it's a regular season. It's not the end of the world. But yeah, I, I just felt like you know what? I think the very next play, they try to redeem him by getting him in the post, and he tried going baseline, and then like just kind of threw up a wild shot in the you know, was short and I think the rim kind of stuffed him again. So that's when Carlisle was like, okay, Siakam, you know, <laughs> like we got to stop this run. And at that point too, I felt like the bench was so discombobulated in the second quarter that that dunk just kind of like was the capper of like how that quarter had been going for the second unit. So I think it was just a little bit of everything involved, but he got back in the game, made some big threes later on. So, yeah. you know, kudos to the coaching staff for not holding it against him and for him to bounce back. And overall, look, I mean, if, if OB, you know, if you remove that fast break dunk or if he gets it, I mean, he ended up going three to five from the game. So that yeah. was one of his two misses and two of two from three. That's awesome. And, and nine points off the bench. He was a plus seven. So it's not like that missed dunk was like, oh, my God, you cost the Pacers. Hey, I grew up in, in the world of WWE. I'm, I'm, I'm a showman. You know, I, I love. I'd love some entertainment. So it would have been cool if you could have flushed it at the same point. You know what? Hey, sometimes that's going to happen. But I think overall, when, when you look at this team, and we talked, we touched on on Turner and Siakam. I think they were both awesome. Halliburton just being able to be Halliburton again, play extended minutes, that was massive. And obviously, you know, his 29th double-double. I mean, 22 points, 12 assists, get a block, just one turnover. Felt like vintage Halliburton. Um yeah. But also for the bench, there was bright spots. There was. And I think that one of them is TJ McConnell, a guy that I think coming into this year, I didn't think would survive the trade deadline. Felt like many people were like, okay, the writing's on the wall. McConnell, I mean, 16 points, six assists, eight of 10 shooting. He does this in 18 minutes. McConnell is that guy that it's just, it's not going to be every game. Sometimes he might not suit up. But when he does, I, I just felt that, and this is, we didn't have McConnell last time against the Knicks. Connell was a bit, you know, he was he was anchored the bench in this game. Yeah, I think they're going to need him to suit up quite a bit more just because with the trade of Buddy Heald and who they have on the roster currently, they're going to need TJ McConnell to be more of an efficient player, more of a scorer with that second unit. Obviously, Ben Matherin is the go-to guy for that bench unit. We know that he, Rick Carlisle's deemed him as the sixth man, but we know that Ben Matherin can be inconsistent like he was in this game. So yes. this is where you need a TJ McConnell, a veteran to kind of do what he does. And he can really play in these type of games with New York because they're real physical. And it kind of allows him to get the separation that he needs to hit that little jumper. He had a beautiful baseline reverse layup in the third quarter. And I was watching Tibbs the entire time he's doing it. Tibbs has his arms folded watching him. And as McConnell goes baseline and throws up the reverse layup, 
Tibbs just throws his hands up in the air, just complete disgust. And I'm just slapping my head off, you know, because McConnell is a frustrating player. It's like, oh, there's yeah. a six foot white guy that's doing all this. It's like, how in the world is he torching us like this? But he does, he just does it over and over and over again. And he gets everybody involved. You know, this bench was really bad in the second quarter, but when they came back in in the second half, they look like a totally rejuvenated team. So I think you got to give a lot of credit to McConnell for kind of spearheading that. But I think you also have to look at the one major adjustment the Pacers made with that, and that was they kept Andrew Nimhard with that bench unit and took Doug McDermott out. We can talk about McDermott's debut in a little bit, but McDermott did not look great, Fachi, in this game. And Andrew Nimhard had to play extended minutes. 34 minutes in this game for Nimhard is quite a bit, especially for a guy that's kind of battled injuries all year long. So having Nimhard out there to play defense was really key, and I think that that's what really helped the Pacers kind of stay afloat and grow that lead a little bit with that bench unit because of the way they were able to stabilize things and not have to be so, you know, worried about their defense. And I think he just having that extra uh, playmaker out there too does make a lot of sense because for as much as people want to hate on Buddy Hill for what he didn't do, you got to realize that even if he wasn't making shots, he could put the ball on the floor. And there's times where he would get five, six assists because he's able to facilitate to a certain level and not, not a great facilitator, but he can do it. In, in, in moments there. So I felt like it was a really smart decision to kind of change the rotation up. Yeah, it was. And you know, your, your point on Buddy Heald is like, yeah, Buddy Heald is a very capable passer. McDermott's not going to be out there getting you five assists. You know, McDermott's out there. If he's not hitting threes, he's not contributing. And I think that, yeah, he only puts up one shot. He misses it. But it just, he's also a guy who's not known for defense. And it's not that Buddy was either, but, I just feel that uh, you know this is where you're saying, okay, the Pacers definitely didn't come out of this deadline better, but I think we'll see better play from McDermott moving forward just because there wasn't much to really write home about from this performance. But for Nemhard, once again, another one of those games that if you're just looking from a box you know, score standpoint, he's not blowing you away, but Nemhard led the Pacers in plus minus. Yep. He did because that defense is just something that they, they didn't have much of before. And I felt that uh, you know it, it was it was evident. It was very well you know you could see it. Nemhard's contribution, the 34 minutes that you mentioned, yeah, that that's definitely uh, quite a lot for Andrew Nemhard. When you're really looking at when the last time he played 34 minutes, it actually doesn't happen that often. There was one game uh, against Memphis, he played 37 minutes. Other than that, you'd have to go all the way back to December for a game that he played 34 minutes in. So he's typically someone that's, you know, right around that 25, 27-minute mark. So seeing that uptick definitely was evident. But one guy that I do want to shout out from that bench unit is a guy who had an opportunity to play more because Jalen Smith was out. That's Isaiah Jackson. Alex, it's we can quickly forget just how good Ijax was earlier in the season because then he kind of, once the team got healthy, he kind of fell out of the rotation he led the Pacers in the fourth quarter with points. He had nine points. He was just on four or four shooting, uh, four boards in the fourth quarter as well. This is a guy that you just feel that, yeah, the Pacers are lucky to have depth at center, but he can play. And you don't know how often he's going to be a part of the rotation because it doesn't always make sense to play him, Jalen, and Ijax. But this was just another reminder that Isaiah Jackson has developed and uh, is a good piece for this Pacers team when called upon. Yeah, I definitely felt like he really struggled in that second quarter, Fachi. It was just like he was all over the place. I felt like he was fouling kind of 
ridiculously a few different times there, got himself, you know, got himself in the air a few times when he was like coming down kind of hard. And I was like, man, that's kind of crazy. He had two goaltends that were just kind of unnecessary. Like the Dante DiVincenzo one, the ball was way short and gave him an extra two points, which was not even going to happen. So yeah, I felt like it was kind of a tale of two halves for Ajax. Yeah, and definitely. I definitely think that part of that was the Nimhart effect because I think Nimhart and him have really good synergy together as well. Um, you know, Nimhart just has a really good feel for how other players play and just knows when to fit in and what to do. Like Nimhart can hit that little mid-range jumper, but he's not actively seeking for his shot offensively. Yeah. And I think when he does, the team's worse. So I agree with that. If he he's just a, kind of picks and chooses for sure. Yes, picks and chooses his spots, that's when he's better. But yeah, I thought Isaiah Jackson was very effective on the glass too. Something that the Pacers really struggled with last time against New York, we talked about it, was the rebounding. So just to get him out there, and I feel like Precious Achua playing like 44 minutes in this game, you <laughs> know, getting lot. the Tibbs the Tibbs treatment, right? It's just yep. one of those things where it's like having fresh legs to go up against a guy that's pretty athletic and springy like a Precious Achua does help, and it doesn't put so much pressure on Miles to kind of be like the sole rebounder for this team. And without Jalen Smith, it was a good opportunity, but at the same time, you felt – how bad this team missed Jalen Smith in that first half of that second unit. And I think he just opens up things a little bit more because with Ijax, you know that it does kind of clog the rim. Definitely. And so that's where I think McConnell and Ijax can play very well together because they can run that pick and roll, pick and uh, yeah, pick and roll game. And that way TJ can get downhill, throw it to Ijax if he needs to, but mo more of the time it's going to spread the floor out for him in terms of getting into the paint, but it, it, it kind of clogs the paint for a guy like Matherin trying to drive. So that's where I think you can see maybe it affects Matherin more when Ajax is out there versus Jalen Smith. I'm going off of a very small sample size here, obviously, but I just feel like in this game, you know, New York's a very physical, defensive-minded team. You need someone to be a little chippy. And I enjoyed that when I, Isaiah Jackson had those hard fouls. A lot of times yeah. you see a guy go help the other player up that you messed up. Ajax just kind of stares at him like, get up, I like it, baby. I'm here for it. You know, the, the Pacers, it's everything we talked about earlier in the year when they needed to get tougher. Ijax has brought that toughness. His eight rebounds tied Turner for the lead on this team. But, you know, Turner grabs eight and 31 minutes. Ijax grabs eight and 17 minutes. So it's just he's always been a good rebounder, but he's never playing, you know, 25 to 30 minutes. So uh, he was a plus nine, which was the second, uh, not the second best, but it, it was, it was, it led the bench unit. So yeah. that was good to see. Um, but, yeah, there's obviously, hey, there was the fouls, this, this, and that. But overall, you know, good to see him out there. He's someone who kind of mucks it up, and I think that they needed some of that intensity against New York. You know, no Hartenstein. Uh, he had 19 rebounds last time. I mean, that was that was, was, that was huge. Achua and Hartenstein just destroyed the Pacers, and I felt that that was not the case this time. Um, so that was a big difference. But also, Indiana cut down some of those fouls. Obviously, you know, they um, – you know, they weren't uh, giving to, uh, up a lot of second-chance points to the Knicks. But I think something that we got to talk about is you know, the shooting performances that Indiana had. So they shoot over 70% in the first quarter. They shot over 70% in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a Knicks team that is a good, good defensive team. They're obviously not the same defensively with a few guys out. But you, you shot 61% against this Knicks team out-rebounded them. This was a good performance by Indiana, something very encouraging because I know sometimes with this fan base, one loss does feel like the sky is falling down. And that loss to, to Golden State, I, I think you could hear across the fan base, we, you, just, you just weren't ready, didn't show up. 
Indiana showed up against the Knicks, and I think that this, the schedule moving into the All-Star break is very favorable for Indiana to go into that break with some serious momentum right now, and that I'm really excited about because you start to look at it around and you don't want to get too ahead of yourself. Philly is free-falling right now. They are really free-falling. Indiana has a good chance to kind of gain some ground, and I think that uh, right now this team, you know, Jalen Smith, obviously he's got the back spasms, want him to get healthy. It could make sense to potentially keep Jalen Smith out for the remaining two games. I don't know what, what the plan is, but something like that to be able to give him almost two weeks of rest could be pretty big. That makes sense. I'm I'm not going to be a doctor here and say I know what's going on They're with Jalen Smith, but he's been dealing with back spasms, I feel like, all season long. Yep. Even going back, I think like the first time he really missed time was against the Bucks back in November. And he was supposed to play, and then all of a sudden, like right before the game, decided he just didn't feel mm -hmm. right. So, yeah, that's been something he's been dealing with. But you talk about shooting. I think one guy we didn't give enough credit to when we were kind of recapping everybody was Aaron Neesmith. If you go back and look at what he did in the second quarter, Fudge, he three of three from three for nine points. And honestly, every three that he took felt like a huge basket because it's like as the Knicks kept closing in on that lead, there would be Neesmith there hitting another one off of a Tyrese pass or whoever was throwing the ball to him. I just felt like he really locked in and hit some difficult shots from uh, from three, went three of three from three in that quarter. So led the team in scoring with nine points in the second. I just feel like, you know, Aaron Neesmith, he had a tough challenge too because Nimhard got an early foul trouble guarding Brunson. They had to bring Neesmith back into the game in the first quarter to go in for Nimhard to guard Brunson. Obviously, Brunson dropped 39 points. Like, he still did yep. what he does. But they kind of held everybody else in check, and I think that kind of just shows you, like, how good this team could be. I know Alec Burks had a good game. You were tweeting about that because that's the yeah. guy that you talked about wanting to trade for. I wanted him, man. I really did. I just felt that. It's like, look, I'm not saying that Alec Burks was going to be a guy who was going to get 22 points. But just a good addition for New York. Yeah. He he was he was really hunting for his shots too. I think he was yeah. third in field goal attempts for for the Knicks. So seven to fourteen, pretty good shooting from him and mm -hmm. four of seven from three. Twenty-two points. Like, yeah, he had a good game, but Bogdanovich, you know, he ended up playing thirty-three minutes basically, Fachi, in this game, thirty-two minutes, fifty-eight seconds. And, you know, if Tibbs is gonna play him a ton of minutes, we'll see how that lasts for him. You know, with a lot of these injuries, like you know, it's just it's just interesting. I don't I don't know exactly where uh, the Knicks are going to finish with record wise because they've got a pretty solid roster. We talked about that, but yeah, I just I just wanted to give a little bit of a shout out there to Neesmith because we didn't really touch on him yet, and um, we, yeah. I feel like we've touched on almost everybody else. Ben Mather, and we didn't say too much about him. Felt like he kind of struggled in this game as well, but um, yeah, you, you just needed a big shooting performance from Neesmith, and he hit some timely threes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, no Ben Shepard in this game. Um, Are you shocked? You know, no, I'm just wondering. And, and it's the first time we saw Doug McDermott out there. No Ben Shepard. Just curious if that's something to keep an eye on. I mean, look, it's not like Doug McDermott played a heavy amount of minutes. It was just seven minutes. But just curious to see, you know, how that shakes out moving forward. Yeah, my my kind of my thought from watching Doug McDermott is he looks a step slower than when he was here last time. Uh, I mean, that that's that's understandable. It's been a couple yeah. of years. Good old Dougie, he ain't getting younger, but uh, he, just I, turned, I do. he just turned 32, Fachi. I'm going to be 32 this year. You're 32 right now, right? I'm 32, man. I, it takes a second longer to get out of bed in the morning, you know, knees so crack old. a little bit. So, you know, for, for McBuckets, I, I understand. I mean, this isn't, you know, uh, you know, quite a few years ago when you were just, you know, playing some of your best ball, but at the same point, it's just something to keep an eye on. And I, I think that, uh, we can't write them off after one game. There will be moments. You know, I think we'll have plenty of opportunities where you could hit two or three threes in a game and we'll say, all right, hey, cool. But, you know, for, for now, I mean, obviously, Buddy Heald was someone who made his debut with Philly. What what were your thoughts? He seemed seemed like he got a lot of shots. You know, oh, Buddy Hilds? Yeah. Well, I mean, they didn't have Tyrese Maxey in his first game either. So it's kind obviously of like, no hey, beat. buddy, do what you got to do. Buddy 20, show. 21 shots. It was 8 of 21 from the field. 4 of 12 from 3. Had some good rebounds. Look, we know Buddy Hill can be inefficient, but he did he did much better. I think he was 9 of 16, 4 of 9 good. from 3 in the next game against the Wizards. So, obviously, you know, Hawks, Wizards aren't the greatest teams to really look no, at in terms of like, hey, stalt defense is really slowing down Buddy Hill or making it difficult. But, you know, Buddy Hill is not the number one option for any team, right? I think if you get a healthy Joel Embiid with Tyrese Maxey, like, yeah, it can make some sense for Buddy Heald. Uh, but I want to go back to McDermott real quick because you said, you know, yep. he might hit some threes. Uh, look, I, I I watched Doug McDermott play for seven minutes last night, and every time down the floor, the pace of on defense, I said, oh, my God, where are they going to hide him at? And you can, you can sit here and talk about the defense Buddy Heald played, but – this isn't a hot take. Buddy Hill is a much better defender than Doug McDermott. Definitely. He can put the ball on the floor. McDermott really can't do that. And then catch and shoot wise, I mean, yeah, Doug can do that, but I think Buddy just is so much better at getting open. So I would say, like, in terms of like, you know, pecking orders or like tiers, whatever, like Buddy Hill's like in the S tier and McDermott's in the B tier. So you're talking about like S, then A, then B. So like, he's a couple notches ahead of him in terms of like what he brings to the table for this team. So like, if you're going to play, Doug McDermott as your 10th man, I really worry about the defense of McDermott and Toppin out there together. I just don't think it's going to be something that's going to be able to work long-term. So we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously McDermott first game didn't really get a practice in with the team yet. So he's going to work his way into it. And there's going to be moments where you're probably like, okay, maybe he's not as bad as that first game was. And I think that's the case for a lot of players when they get traded to a new team. It's all so fresh and new and they're trying to figure things out. Like even Siakam, Took a little bit of time trying to get acclimated with this team. So not saying that. And I just think we kind of know who McDermott is. I think 80% of his shots this season, Fachi, have been from three. So we know exactly what he can do. He's just not very versatile. Where Buddy Hill could give you a little bit more versatility offensively. And that's where I think the Pacers have to consider what do they do with McDermott long-term in terms of like the rest of the season. So I shouldn't say long-term, but for the rest of the season. 
Do they play Ben Shepard? Does it make more sense? I don't think Ben Shepard's necessarily ready for big-time minutes come playoff time, but at least on the defensive side of things, you know he's going to give you a lot more. Yeah, a and lot. So if you're looking at both of them as your 10th man, I hate to say it, but I think it's it's probably an overreaction to game one of just watching McDermott, but I just feel like at this point it makes more sense to develop Ben Shepard as the 10th man than to play Doug McDermott seven minutes because look how much better they were when he wasn't in the game in that third quarter, fourth quarter with the second unit. So no offense to Dougie. I just, he's a major drop off from Buddy Hield and people hated Buddy Hield for what he did. Just imagine how they're going to feel about Doug McDermott if he's getting 15 minutes a game. I, yeah, that I definitely get. I, I do think one of the differences, and like I mentioned before, you know, maybe an episode two ago was, uh, you know, I think the Pacers have that opportunity where they could not play Doug McDermott and it's not a storyline. If, if Buddy Heald was not getting played, it is a storyline, and, right. and he's going to be upset, and you know it, it's not going to be a good situation. So I think from like when would there be a situation where Buddy would play seven minutes and have one shot? You know that that wouldn't go yeah. well. So uh, I, I'm very curious to see you know what happens with this, and I think that maybe yeah, maybe if McDermott goes one of one from three, you start to say okay, well hey, you know what they brought him strictly in as a three point shooter. That's what he does. You know he'll be just fine. So. Let's just have to wait and see. But I do think that um, come playoff time, you could make an argument that Ben Shepard and Doug McDermott might not be what you really want, you know, in a playoff series. So we'll have to wait and see. I think that Ben Shepard was definitely getting valuable experience. I don't want to see him just out of the rotation. And this is a, a classic one-game overreaction. But let's just have to, you know, monitor that that situation um, and, and, and take it from there. I think that overall, I mean, hey, the Pacers got got to win. Never easy to win on the road, but I think that this is now they're thirteen and thirteen on the road. There are five hundred team on the road. That's what it takes to be a playoff team, being able to win games on the road. So I'm happy about this, and uh, I, I think that this is something that Indiana can build off of. Yeah, the Pacers are still holding on to that six seed by a half game over the Orlando Magic. They're close. Um, the Orlando Magic do have the tiebreaker over the Pacers, so that's got to be something where they want to separate themselves from Orlando. But like you said, in Philadelphia, they're starting to free fall. Um, they played two more games, two games than the Pacers. Yeah. So that's something to factor in. Yeah, Pacers are three and a half games behind the Knicks in fourth. That's going to be hard to get up to. We, we'll see what happens with Milwaukee if they start to struggle a little bit. But last I checked, Orlando had the easiest remaining schedule. They've got a lot of cupcake games coming up. I mean, I was like blown away, Fachi, when I was looking at their schedule. I was like, this is who they get to play coming back from the All-Star break? Like, I know we get the Pistons, but like, this is, let me let me see what they had again, because I want to show you like some of the games they have coming up. It's just kind of wild to me. I'm trying to see when they play again here. I apologize for this terrible podcasting here, but so they've got the Thunder and the Knicks before the All-Star break. When they come back, yeah, they've got the Cavs. So that's three tough games right there. But listen to this. Pistons, Hawks, Nets Jazz to finish out February. Then they start March off Pistons, Hornets, Wizards. Wow. I mean, that's a stretch where anything more than one loss is probably a little bit on the surprising side. Yeah. And so after that, then they'll then they'll play the Knicks and the Pacers and the Nets. The Raptors twice, which they're not great. They're probably trying to lose to get that draft pick. The Hornets. Um, and then they go on a road trip and that or they, they have a homestand against some good Western conference teams. So I mean, it's not like it's Super, super easy, but there I was just like, man, that's a lot. They got the Hornets like three times and the Pistons a few more times. And I'm like, man, this is this is going to get interesting here. So you got to just 
stay afloat. Pacers do and just take it one game at a time and not get too ahead of themselves and looking at the strength of schedules. But yeah, I think if Indiana wants to stay at six, they're going to have to really keep their eye on the magic. We'll see what, what the heat do, but I'm not even worried about the heat because I feel like they're a team that doesn't care where they're seated at. And they'd yeah. be like, all right, we'll take Boston first round. Well, we'll beat them. Yeah. The heat seem very reminiscent of like the warriors where they're just like, just get us in, get us in the play and play uh, playoffs, whatever it is, we'll be just fine. But for Philly, they, they did recently sign Kyle Lowry. So help is on the way. Who knows what happens with Joel Embiid and when he'll return. But for right now, they, they're at least a team that made some adjustments at the deadline between bringing in Buddy Heald and Kyle Lowry. You could definitely say that, hey, those were upgrades over Cork uh, uh, Maz and, and Marcus Morris and, and, and Pat, yeah, Pat Bev. I mean, uh, you know, solid player, but, you know, whatever. Um, I, I think at this point, Philly, we'll see what happens to them, but it is realistic for Indiana to be able to jump them in the standings. It really is. I think if you're the Pacers, as time goes on, you start to really shift your expectations from what I mentioned earlier of like playing team to like you really want to be a top six team. Like you really do and you really feel that it can happen. Mm -hmm. So I'm really hopeful for it. I'm excited. The schedule is appealing. It might not be Orlando Magic appealing, but it's still pretty solid. And at this point, you know, in the year at 30 and 24, Alex, you got to be happy with what we've seen. You got to mm. be. Coming into the year, I'll stand by it. I felt this Pacers team could very well win about 45 games. We're we're on a good pace right now, shifting that closer to that 48 to 50 win mark. I mean, that would be quite quite a season for the Pacers. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And they'll be right at 28 games on the road and 20 game, 28 games uh, at home by the time the All-Star break gets there. So we got a good sample size. And if they can be... 17 and 11 and 15 and 13 on the road. Like that's really a strong record moving forward, getting to 32 wins with, you know, I'm trying to remember how many games it'd be 26 games left. I think come back from the all-star okay. break. So that, that gives you a pretty good idea of where this team could finish at. Maybe they get to 46 wins. Who knows? I mean, I'm not trying to sit there and get too excited, but that's a possibility. They could get to 44, 46, something like that. If they just play good basketball the rest of the way. And, you know, I was looking Fachi before the Knicks game at the numbers in terms of like Pascal Siakam and like all the starting lineups, he's had six different starting lineups in 12 games before last night. Wow. So six and 13 now technically, but that lineup that they've had the last couple of games here, it makes you wonder, cause I don't know if you saw this or not, but buddy Hill did request a trade. Uh, ah, I don't know Greg, if I, I don't know if I did see that. Uh, who yeah. reported that? So Greg Doyle from the Indy star actually reported that and said that it was kind of, he saw the writing on the wall here with, the players ahead of him and his role and he wanted to be traded to a team that could give him a, a bigger role and also pay him the money that he potentially wants in the offseason so the money. that's kind of why i think they traded him to philadelphia they were trying to do right by buddy hill because he didn't make this trade request public it was kind of quiet and i think tony east Respect. actually followed up from greg doyle's reporting and kind of got his own reporting on it and confirmed what greg had said so you know, two different people there did confirm that. So it does make a little sense why they moved him now, and it makes you feel a little less upset with, like, the return they got back yeah. because their hands were tied a little bit, but they would have been even more tied had Buddy kind of made this public. So, and, and I understand why they did it, but maybe we should have been a little bit smarter with our detective hats and realize, why are they going to Nimhard now against the Hornets? I think that made a lot of sense now that you think about it. Two games before the deadline, see what you have yeah. with this group and start to get them going because if you already know Buddy Hill's going to be on the move, might as well make that change. And 
I think they just need to continue writing it out with this five for the rest of the season. Don't make any more changes because I don't really think they can afford to. And it'll allow them to get the chemistry they need because right now I think they had played as a starting five, as a, as a lineup together, 57 minutes before the next game. So not sure how many minutes that group played together, but I'm sure they didn't play uh, more than 30. So, or even more than 40 something. So they, they clearly have not even reached a hundred minutes played together as a starting five. So they have to continue to build that chemistry together because they're way down the line in terms of like what other teams have in terms of their total chemistry and total overall possessions played together. So have to work on that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of this starting five that, that we've seen lately. I do think that this is the probably the base the Pacers best starting five that they could really put together. Some could argue from a, oh, Matherin has a higher score potentially, but they need defense. They need defense. And that's where Andrew Nimhart, I think, fits in perfectly as that fifth starter that can be overshadowed from a shot you know perspective. I think that that's fine. You don't want Matherin to be overshadowed and be a guy that's putting up six shots in the, in the starting lineup. That's he's not going to be at his best. So I think we knew that even the Pacers, even when the Pacers had success with Jalen at the four next to miles, we felt that that was not like a long-term lineup. You know, that was like, Hey, this is working well right now. Pacers, you know, went on a good winning streak. That was great. But this lineup feels more sustainable, feels more balanced defensively. And I, I think that that's a, uh, I'm excited about that. But hmm. overall, as we kind of sort to put put a, a bow on this, it was nice to get some payback against the Knicks. It was great to be able to show up in the fourth quarter. I think Indiana had some some struggles from time to time, you know, of like, hey, you might start a game hot, but can you close it hot? They, they did it. They did it on both sides of the ball. I think they played. Just they made all the adjustments, and I think that that's a great job of the coaching staff that, when this Pacers team has seen uh, uh, that same team again that beat them, they respond for the most part. Mm-hmm. You got the random outlier against Portland where we lost both times, but against this Knicks team, that was they made all the adjustments that you needed to make, and I think that that's awesome. They win the season series against New York two to one. It's a it's a team that I'm happy to not have to play again. Some teams we played four times, maybe even the Bucks five, but you know this is a Knicks team that. Uh, you know, we lost to them while they weren't healthy. We beat them while they weren't healthy. I think that if we meet again, it's the playoffs. And I, I, I think that while we got this win, the Knicks aren't necessarily a team that I want to see in mm. the playoffs. There are a few other teams that I would rather see ahead of New York. And, and I think that I'm uh, I'm happy at this point that we wrapped up that season series. Yeah, Pacers win the season series two games to one. So good for them. They never had to see OG and Anobi once in that series. And- yep. Um, they they definitely played them while they were a little bit hobbled, and so I don't know if we can really count that as yeah. a season series win at, at full strength, but hey, we'll take it because you just play who's on the schedule and you can't help injuries, so yeah. it is what it is. But with that being said, Fachi, go ahead and let the people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at PacersPod, STP. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersPodSTP. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, go to YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast, where you can find all of our video content. Thank you all so much for subscribing to the YouTube channel. And please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you get your show. Please let us know what you think by giving us a nice five-star rating. But with that being said, Fachi, if you're hoping the Pacers can close out the rest of this road trip with two victories, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers!
This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Base. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.